Hello, curious people. It's Heather. I have to say, this was one of our favorite episodes to record. Emily and I enjoyed interviewing this guest so much that we just went ahead and let the conversation roll. And since we didn't want you to miss out on any of it, we've decided to split up the interview into two episodes. And now for part one of our interview with Scott Van Voris. You're listening to Divinely Curious, the podcast for mystics, seekers, and the spiritually curious. I'm Heather Augusta. Join me and my co-host, Emily Rose, for spirited discussions about what's capturing our curiosity and what we're discovering along the way. Hey, Emily. Hey, Heather. Do you want to talk about energy and being a highly sensitive person? I would absolutely love to. Awesome. Good. Okay. So I have been very much nerding out on the human energy field and trying to understand basically our energy anatomy. And naturally as like a sensitive person, there's a lot of crossover where you learn about energy bodies, but you also learn about sensitivity and perceiving that. And it's kind of a really diverse and interesting subject. So I decided that maybe I should bring somebody on to talk with us about this. So I brought a friend today. All right. I'm excited to talk to your friend. (laughs) (laughs) I brought Scott Van Boris, who is just an amazing human, but also he's a certified holistic life coach, a certified brain spotting practitioner and a Reiki master. He does healing and coaching sessions with clients and couples, as well as leading workshops to support groups and retreats. He's based in El Dorado Hills, California at the Path Wellness Center, where he works with both men and women and primarily those who need healing and are ready to make life changes or who need support in the midst of a life change. He does energy and spiritual work, but he tailors his work to his clients in a way that is practical and applicable to everyday life. He is holistic, meaning that his life goal is for you to return home to the fully integrated version of yourself. Scott, welcome. Hello. Great to be here. Hi, Heather. Hi, Emily. We're so happy to have you. I have so many questions for you, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. So Scott and I know each other because we actually met at a spiritual like business program a couple of years ago. And one of the things that really struck me about you was that you just had this very natural energy that you could tell you just sort of naturally held space for people. There's a certain kind of presence that healers and some coaches, I almost think of it as like a pastor almost, like people who can just hold space for others to do their work without sort of asserting their own energy. And you naturally had that energy about you. And so naturally people felt instantly comfortable around you, I noticed. Wow. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I know I never told you that before, but no. So when you started to like really pursue this path, it just seemed so totally natural and perfect. And I really wanted to talk with you today and reconnect with you as you've gone along this path and talk to you about some of the things that we have started to overlap on our interests in terms of energy and sensitivity and things like that. So the first thing I noticed was that you had started facilitating groups for people who are highly sensitive and empathic. That's right. And 
would we tell us a little bit about what got you into that? What made you decide to start facilitating those groups? Well, I'm an empath and a highly sensitive person. And so naturally the clients that started showing up for me are also empaths, right? We often attract people that are similar to us and they feel most comfortable with us. And so I was just seeing this need because in every or most of my sessions, I'd be teaching them skills. Like how, how do I as an empath deal with this overwhelm or I'm feeling these feelings. I don't understand why, where are they coming from? So just tools and techniques to help people better deal with that. And so I started this group to support people in that in a more of a, I guess, a more formalized way and able to reach more people that way too. I guess I could tell you a little bit what the group looks like if you're interested, because I am going to be running more of those. I had a question too, just with kind of defining, I know that's a hard thing to do sometimes with empaths and highly sensitive people, but how would you kind of define those terms in a way, or how can people know if they affiliate with that, with that group? Great question. Yes. Yeah. And so many people ask, and empath has really become a bit of a overloaded label. It seems like these days used in negative ways and, and also kind of like false positive ways. So yeah, I'd love to define those. So real quick, I think there's a difference in my mind, and this is all my perspective, right? I'm not perfect. This is a gospel, but in my mind, a highly sensitive person is different than an empath. And the way that they're different is a highly sensitive person has a different neurobiological sensory system. So their five senses are amplified compared to your average person. And Elaine Aaron defines this in her book with the same title, highly sensitive person. And she says that 15 to 20% of the population has this not better or worse, but different sensory system that they were born with. And so those people can see more, hear more, taste more, feel more. All their senses are like high def where the people that are not HSPs are just kind of standard definition. So as an example, like I'll be listening to a piece of music with my wife who is not a HSP <laughs> and I'll, I'll go like, Oh, did you hear that part where they played this? And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, we just notice more in our environment, in our day-to-day -day life than other people do. So that's HSPs. And I would say 99% of empaths are HSPs, not all, but most, but definitely a much lower percentage of HSPs are actually empaths, if that makes sense. So it's much more common to be HSP, less common to be an empath. I'm kind of curious about just generally your experience as being a highly sensitive person, like now, as you've developed some life skills around it, but also like originally, maybe you didn't realize you were a highly sensitive person. Like when you were a young person, what did that look like for you growing up highly sensitive and then understanding that about yourself and good, bad, and in between? Yeah, happy to. And then I'd like to come back and also just add another layer about being an empath. But yeah, as a man or a boy <laughs> that was very sensitive, it was rough. It was tough. You know, our culture, the culture at large really does not support sensitivity, does not support having feelings. Right. And so as a man growing up in this patriarchal society, not to get on my soapbox, but you know, there's lots of bullying. And I came to a point where it was like, 
screw this. I'm shutting all this down. I do not want to feel this. I want to be like everybody else. I want to fit in. And I really turn my back on all of my emotions and feelings, which as I'm sure you both know, it's, you can't just turn off one feeling, right? You turn it all off. And so now you're numb to the world, except for anger. <laughs> for some reason, it's okay for men to get really angry. So I, I learned unfortunately that yeah i could get really mad but that's about it and it took me a good 30 years before i kind of came back home to through a series of synchronicities and uh, life experiences kind of came back home to like my true self like who i am oh i i am this feeling person and i think this is like the most if an empath or an hsp could only do one thing to help themselves I think giving themselves permission to be that sensitive person is probably the most important first step they could take. So allowing myself to be this different person that feels more physically in terms of senses, but also emotionally compared to most people and especially most men. Yeah. What were you going to say about this other layer of empathy and highly sensitive sensitivity? Oh, and I love how you just said empathy. So yeah, I think it's good to delineate empathy versus empath. Empathy is my cognitive ability to understand what you are feeling in this moment. Whereas being an empath is really marrying my highly sensitive nervous system to an intuitive ability that may or may not be obvious, right? But somehow I am able to feel whether it's the emotion that you're feeling or the physical sensation in your body. So when I'm sitting across from clients, I can feel like, oh man, that feels heavy. I, I'm feeling something in my chest or my heart's like clenching shut. You know, I'm feeling the physical sensations of the person across from me and also the emotional experience that they're having. As an empath, that's what we pick up. And also not just from people, right? But like if I walk into a room there may be nobody in the room, but there was somebody in there not too long ago. Like, ugh, feels kind of gross in here. What happened? You know, that's a typical kind of empath trait. And that's a typical question I ask my clients. Like, hey, when you walk into a room and there's nobody in there, can you notice what the feeling was earlier in the day? And, and if they say yes, I'm like, oh, you're an empath. <laughs> Did you ever have this experience where you just assume that everyone was operating on this same level of perception? I think as a young child, yeah, for sure. And it was kind of confusing how, <laughs> how like heartless and, and mean, you know, the other boys of my childhood can be because I'm like, oh, how could you do that? It doesn't feel good. So yeah, I definitely assumed it then, but I quickly learned that no, I was quite different from everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, Emily, if you found this at all too, being a young person and like just assuming that all the adults were seeing and feeling the same things that you were. And then at some point realizing, oh no, they don't see this. They don't feel this. Did you experience that, Emily? Oh yeah, totally. And I lucked out because I had a parent who was also highly sensitive. Now I, now that I have the terms defined, I can say, I think she's a highly sensitive person and an empath. So I had someone who could kind of filter that for me and kind of explain, no, other people don't experience things in this way. And so she kind of already had that, which I felt very fortunate to have as a child to know that. But it's something that you do easily forget when you're in the world <laughs> of high school or school in general and and dealing with that and realizing that other people aren't perceiving it and 
I think something you said, Scott, was really important. And I think that's what differentiates being a child versus being an adult who's aware of these things too, is that giving yourself that permission. And at a young age, I didn't give myself that permission. And especially, which I actually want to talk to you later about like the connection between all of that in your body and the connection between that and your mind and the thoughts you have and, and all of that. Cause I'm really interested in that whole connection, all those connection points, but I would experience things like that and think, oh, I just have to power through. This is normal. That whole normal, I'm using air quotes idea. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely experienced that, but I, I do feel fortunate that I had a parent that kind of made me aware of that or reminded me of that pretty frequently. I had the same thing, Emily. So my mother was extremely intuitive and psychic and an empath. So that was helpful, but as a young boy, <laughs> there's a point in that teenage, you know, journey <laughs> where you go, oh, you're my mom. You're you're not cool. <laughs> you're different <laughs> from all the other moms. No, thank you. You know, and I kind of turn my back on all that stuff. Yeah. Thank you for sharing to your experience as as a man or and as a boy going through that, because I can imagine that it's very different than society's expectations on women and what that's like. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think feelings are always put less importance than the intellect, right? Our society in general is like intellect rules all. Feelings are weak. Feelings are less than for men and women, right? And hence the patriarchy, since women are in general more feeling than men. I know personally as a highly sensitive person or recently I read someone with high sensory perception. I really liked that reframing of it. I found that I was trying to spend a lot of my energy managing it, just trying to manage all of the incoming sensory stimuli and it was using up a lot of energy. And I looked around the world and I was trying to figure out why other people weren't struggling with this, like why they were not being affected by the sounds, the smells, the sort of psychic noise that was happening. And, you know, I spent a long time trying to sort that out. Did you ever have experience with that where you were trying to manage it? Oh, yes. Still, the some, I mean, I have all these tools, right? And I still, I'm human. <laughs> Here's a recent example. Um, my family really wanted to go to Fisherman's Wharf on a weekend in San Francisco. And I walked into there completely like defenseless. And within minutes, I was just like vibrating, like, I got to get out of here, like almost a panic attack, just completely overloaded just with all the noise and the people and not so pleasant energy of that place. And we quickly did get out of there and I had to do all the things, right? Like ground myself, clear my field as best I can, just kind of get myself back in my body. So yeah, it still happens to me today, I guess is what I would say about that. But I think having better boundaries with not just the people in my life, but the situations that I let myself enter into uh, has been super helpful. And then just doing more regular self-care techniques like grounding. So if you don't mind, maybe I'll talk about that real quick. I'd love to hear it. So there's a lady who wrote a great book about empaths. Her name's Wendy DeRosa, but she talks about how one of the reasons empaths are so able to like pick up other people's emotions and energy and feelings is we tend to run our energy in the upper half of our body, like even just in our head, right? So often. And so we vacate our lower 
energy centers and those centers are they're like a vacuum so they're they're now like hanging open because we're not in there <laughs> looking for some other energy to fill that gap and so we end up sucking up the energy of the people we're around so grounding i think is a hugely important tool for sensitives and empaths to get us back into our body and by grounding i mean both physically touching our skin to the ground or water like kicking our shoes off and standing in the lawn or getting in a bathtub or going for a swim or something but also if you're not able to do that or that doesn't feel grounding it <laughs> doesn't feel like refreshing you can do that with a visualization so just literally visualizing your energetic system connecting to the earth so you know imagining my toes like connecting to the earth imagining energy flowing through me and into the core of the earth and pulling me back into my body by doing that breath work is great for that too getting you back into your body so i, th I think that's what i wanted to say about that is that helpful yeah I know a lot of psychics and highly sensitive people and stuff. One of the things that we can do too is, which isn't necessarily healthy, is a lot of us will eat, you know, to ground ourselves. And I know a lot of psychics that are smokers and they'll smoke to kind of bring themselves down. It's not the healthiest thing to do to ground yourself in the long term, but it's an example of the way that people are trying to ground themselves when they're just like blasted open. Yes. So I'm curious what in this whole evolution for you, as you grew up as a sensitive, empathic person, you sort of began to realize who you were truly. What have you learned from your peers about this? People that you knew who were who are managing it well and people who were struggling with it, what have you learned from peers, not just like authors and teachers and stuff like that, friends and clients? Well, again, I think the most important thing is that there's no such thing as normal, right? I'm not abnormal. We as sensitives, it's okay for us to be sensitive. And so getting to know peers that are having the same experience as you is super validating <laughs> and super helpful, right? Like, oh, <laughs> But I, I think also just being willing to compromise and give myself permission to not go to the party or I happen to be married to an extrovert, right? <laughs> she likes to go like be around people. That's draining to me, especially as a sensitive as an empath. And so it was really frustrating for a long time until one of my peers said, hey, don't go or make an agreement that, hey, I'll go for an hour and let's drive separately and you can stay as long as you like. I'll be there with you for an hour and then I'm out. I'm going to go recharge type of thing. So just learning and seeing other people making those types of agreements with whether it's their partner or family, like, hey, mom and dad, yes, I want to come see you, but you know, I can only stay for an hour or two hours or three hours, whatever it is, whatever the limit is, right? Just giving myself a target that I can sustain and then pull back to balance my own needs with their desire to see and connect uh, with me. And of course, I want to connect with them too. But, you know, family always has certain stressors attached to it. And so managing that stress and limiting it is super helpful for us. Yeah, the boundaries, the balance, the compromise, and just validation on some of the tools too. Like, what do you do when you suddenly feel like 
gosh, I was feeling calm and fine. And now I'm angry. Where, where did that come from? Oh, well, I, I asked, like, is that mine? Is that my anger I'm feeling or is that somebody else's? So kind of first like cluing in and getting to know the feeling that's happening in my body. Oh, that's not mine. Okay, where did it come from? Oh, it's somebody I just interacted with. I'm going to release this and send that back to them. I don't need to carry this for them. Or it's from some location I was in earlier today. Let's send it back to that. I call that return to sender. <laughs> you know, Somebody sent me this, it's not mine, send it back type of thing. So those are a few of the things that I've gained and got validation on from other people like us. Yeah. I think that's interesting because at some point, I think one of the best gifts in my relationship with my husband was just being able to say, no, I'm not going to go to this social event. Like we don't have to go. And it was hard for him because he would always have to explain for me, like, why isn't Heather here? And he would be like, well, she, and then at some point he started to get some of the tools to be able to, to just say, this isn't a big deal. Like Heather's just not here. Or I would proactively like communicate with people. Hey, I just don't feel like being around a bunch of people today. I love you guys. Let's do some one-on-one -on -one hangout at some point. That was a huge gift in our relationship because I think it's super common for highly sensitive people to partner up with people who are different than they am because we bring out all kinds of wonderful things in each other. So totally. We were talking about that in my group. Most of them are partnered or married to, you know, more outgoing type people. And we were talking like, why is that? Well, they're fun. <laughs> these, these extroverts are fun. Like we want to conquer down and learn and study and go inward. But we tend to do that too much when we're by ourselves. And so they get us out into the world and enrich our experience and vice versa, right? We help them get more introspective within themselves. I think too, the other gift of keeping company with people who are more extroverted is that they can show us that these places are safe. It's safe to be around groups of people. It's safe to be in these situations. It might be challenging because of how we're wired, so to speak, but it's not unsafe. And I think that is really a gift to get from the people around us that are not highly sensitive. Emily, I feel like recently I heard you talking about requesting a noise canceling headphones so that you could <laughs> coexist. That's what I wanted. My noise canceling headphones died and it was November. And then I just asked my husband, you're getting me a Christmas present, right? Can you just give it to me now? And can they be noise canceling headphones? Thank you. <laughs> So I got my Christmas present over a month early, which are these headphones. <laughs> my husband's kind of a in-between. I wouldn't say he's an extrovert extrovert, but he does tend to lean more on that side. And there's always sports happening in my house. And I can't. I can't deal with the squeaking basketball shoes, the yelling with the football. I can't do it. So I need noise-canceling headphones for sports days. And I occupy two rooms of my house that are my rooms so I can close out the sports noise. <laughs> so that's how I cope. <laughs> I think this is such a good segue, too, because, Scott, you talked about grounding and filling your well before you get into situations that are really highly sensitive or that are overstimulating. Emily, you talked about having things like noise canceling headphones. I talked about being able to say no and have conversations with people ahead of time. 
to let them know like, hey, I don't really want to go to your birthday party, but I'd love to have a one-on-one situation. Are there other kinds of lifestyle habits that you have brought into your life to help you manage sensitivity, keep yourself energized, and also to cope when you've been really depleted by an overstimulating situation? Well, as far as managing or or recharging, I am not an exerciser, but I really enjoy being outside and I'm a mountain biker. So I enjoy getting outside, especially near bodies of water. Like I don't need to go in the water, but I live very close to a lake and being able to ride my bike near that lake is super recharging and just the alone time by myself, but also moving my body at the same time gets me more embodied. (laughs) You can't help but be more in your body when you're actually moving. But I would say you'd get the same benefit from walks or any type of, uh, it doesn't have to be vigorous movement, right? Any type of physical movement to help you get back in your body. Because I think that's the main challenge again, is when our energy comes up out of our body, that's when Maybe our thoughts run away with us or we're gobbling up all the energy of others around us instead of paying attention to our own energy. So whatever we can do to get more embodied. Another one, (laughs) Epsom salt baths or any kind of salt bath is super grounding. Like I sleep so good after I take an Epsom salt bath (laughs) and my mind is so much quieter after I do that, right? Those are some of the caretaking things just again along the same theme of grounding i think okay so now i've been to fisherman's wharf and i picked up all this stuff there's lots of like energetic tools you can use in the moment to just clear your system in addition to grounding you know i'm a reiki practitioner reiki master one of the things we often do after treatment is just kind of brush the body physically with our hands of the client you can do that to yourself just kind of brushing, raking the energy off of your system and then just flicking it away or visualizing, I call it the golden hoop. So imagine like a giant hula hoop over your body and just have that come down and attract whatever you're ready to let go of or whatever's not yours. And when it touches the earth, just discharge that into the earth. So those are some of the more woo-woo or (laughs) energetic type tools you could use to clear once you've picked stuff up in addition to the physical ones. Sometimes if I can't take a bath, I'll just take a foot bath. I'll get just a plastic basic and fill it with water and salt and just soak my feet. That can also have a really similar, or if like I'm in a public place and I obviously can't take a bath because I'm at a conference or something, I'll wash my hands. I'll just take a moment and breathe and just feel the water on my hands and slowly kind of ground myself through that hand washing. A friend of mine started taking flamenco dance classes and she found that actually like stomping her feet on the ground really grounded her you know she would just stomp 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 and i thought oh it's kind of cathartic to do that (laughs) also like as you do that clenching your fists you know that really gets you like into your body and connected to the earth i love how you mentioned the hand washing that's what i have my reiki Practitioners do as I'm training them in between, go wash your hands while the client's kind of waking back up to just clear that off and get back into your body. One last one related to the stomping in the fists. If you're seated, just clench your whole, like try and tense every muscle in your body and then release and just do that over and over. 
that can be helpful to kind of pull you back in your body and also just release what you don't want to carry. Emily, do you have any helpful grounding tips that you utilize when you need to get grounded? Well, there's a lot of interesting things that were coming up as both of you were talking. So (laughs) I'm pretty much one of the most ungrounded people (laughs) in general that you'll tend to meet, I would say. I do a lot of things in non-ordinary reality, like so more of the visualization. I'm, I'm definitely more in that camp of things, but going on a walk is probably my go-to. I have a a baby and a dog that love to walk. So I have a lot of incentives to just go do that. So walking is, is really big for me, but a light bulb went off as you were talking, Scott, like it was just so clear how you explained it, why we absorb so much because they almost become vacuums because we're operating at the higher points of our energy body. And it made me realize I am super clumsy. I walk around this, my house, I'm bumping into things. And my husband all the time is like, oh my God, are you not aware of what's, and no, I'm really not aware of what's (laughs) happening. And I'm wondering, this is kind of a dumb, funny thing, but I'm wondering, is that a thing amongst people? Because you're just not fully here. Yes. Yes, exactly. Does that happen to you, Heather? Oh, all the time. Chuck's always kind of following me around, waiting for me to like knock something over. And I love this actually, because when we segue a little bit into the energy, like talking about our energy body, I know that there's talk about our energy actually splitting. And part of us is honestly kind of projected elsewhere. And only part of us is still in our body. So maybe we should segue into that a little bit. I was just going to ask too, maybe that clumsiness, like bumping into things, maybe that's a sign like, oh, you are not in your body. So I was going to ask you, what are some other signs that you're not grounded? Because, you know, when it's the water we swim in, sometimes we don't come up for air and realize what's actually going on. So that's why I just wanted to ask, what are some signs that maybe you're not in your body fully? Yeah, I think that also just feeling lightheaded or a little dizzy or kind of ditzy, like, gosh, I can't focus. My brain says ping, 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 ping. That's definitely a sign that you're not grounded, right? It's really hard to have a clear thought. (laughs) It means you're kind of running up here. So pulling yourself back into your body. Or if you find yourself ruminating on the past or ruminating on the future, whenever we're not present can mean that we're not very embodied. So just paying attention to when all my thoughts are focused on the future and I'm not paying attention to what's happening in my world in this moment. I guess those are the the big things that, that come to mind. Is that helpful? Does that resonate? <laughs> no, it does. I Yeah, a lot of times it takes almost a physical jolt to make you realize, oh my gosh, (laughs) not in my body. But those are helpful, those mental plugs. So maybe we can notice that before we bump into things. (laughs) I think overwhelm too. So when we're in that overwhelm, it's like, oh, I'm feeling flooded (laughs) from whatever. I'm probably not in my body. I'm probably running up here. It seems like overwhelm can happen from a few different reasons. One can be your circuits are overloaded, so to speak, from stimuli. The other thing is can can be you're overwhelmed because half of you is still in the past, part of you is in the future, and your body is in the present. And it seems like the remedy for both of those situations is grounding. I would agree. And just kind of 
like breath style meditation too. That can also be helpful in addition to or as an alternate. I was wondering if you guys have talked or thought about the different types of empaths. Some people are more empathic this way. Some people are more empathic that way. But emotional empaths is kind of what I think we've been mostly talking about, right? So I'm picking up the emotions of other people. But I alluded to this earlier. There's also physical empaths where, oh, your knee's hurting. My, my knee's hurting. Is that my knee or your knee? So being able to tune into the actual physical sensations of others around you. So if you notice after you've been hanging out with, I don't know, <laughs> your father-in-law and you he leaves and you still feel that ache in your back or whatever he was complaining about, you're a physical empath. You're picking up this physical sensations of others. So just being aware of that and also clearing those sensations when they pop up can be super helpful. The other ones that are kind of fun is like a plant empath. So somebody that's a green thumbs are almost always, you know, plant empaths, but like looking at a plant you can literally like feel that, oh my gosh, this poor plant has been neglected. It needs water or it needs a bigger pot or whatever it is. You know, those are your, your plant empaths and then animal empaths. So the people where the animals are flocking to the person that walks in, they're most likely an animal empath. So I'm not really an animal empath. I, I do like animals, but they don't tend to flock to me. I don't tend to be able to click with them, but I'm definitely a plant empath and a physical and emotional empath. How about you guys? Did any of those resonate with you? It's funny that you say that because I feel like we all know those people who literally can talk to plants and other people who can just literally talk to animals. It's funny that you bring this up because I started reading this book called The Subtle Body an encyclopedia of your energetic anatomy by Cindy Dale. And I'll put a link to it in the show description, but she talks about all of these different types of empathic and psychic gifts. And she breaks them down into not only people who can connect with animals and people who connect with energy, but people who can connect with other states of reality, people who have visual type of abilities. And then she talks about the healthy sort of balance of those gifts and what it looks like when they're also not balanced. One of the ones that I thought was kind of cool is she calls it soul sympathy. People who are like connecting with people on a soul level. It's super cool. Um, nature sympathy. There's one that she refers to as force sympathy, which is these are people who connect with elemental energies like fire and earth and water who have this natural affinity for connecting with these natural forces. For sure. Yeah, that really resonates. Yeah, I've heard of another one similar to what you're just describing, like an earth empath. Yeah, obviously they, you know, really connect with nature, but they can also kind of tend to perceive natural disasters before they've happened. And then especially after they've happened, right? They can just really feel what's changed in that part of the earth. I was just going to say, you can kind of see the importance of all of these abilities in humanity, like why all of us exist. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say I'm definitely not a plant empath because don't look around this room because it's full of dying plants. I have one plant that I've managed to keep alive more than a year and I'm beyond proud of myself. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I would say I'm definitely an animal person for sure. And I can kind of tell my daughter, who's only about 15 months old, I can tell she is too right away. 
with animals. It's pretty cute to see her have these really special relationships already, you know, and it's interesting when you're talking about physical empaths, because I feel like I kind of go through a back door to that when I'm working with people. I don't know how to describe this. Like when I work with people, one of the things I can see is I I always can see right when I tune into somebody, a chakra color right away. And then their guides kind of show me what's going on with that chakra. So sometimes it's really like, wow, they've done a lot of healing and this is really lit up. And sometimes it's like, oh, this area, something's going on with it. So sometimes if I go in there and something's really going on, they'll start showing me physical ailments that are associated with that part of the energetic body, which I'm very nervous and reluctant to go into for ethical reasons as a as a reader because I feel like it's opening a different can of worms than I'm used to working in when you start working with physical body stuff right now what I do is I say like the most disclosure things ever and then tell the person what I'm seeing because I feel like that'd be disingenuous to not tell somebody what I'm experiencing but so I kind of think I go in through like a different door to that because it's only if that's being shown, if that makes sense, that I'll say that. But I don't normally just go in and can tell what's going on with someone's body in every situation. It's funny that you say that because I almost think of it as like, there are some people who can naturally sense various things like animals or plants or emotions or health things. And then there are other people who can still access that information, but they need like a diagnostic tool, like a spirit guide or some sort of form of divination or whatever to kind of get to that same information. And that's like a skill set. I mean, that's a combination of gifts, but it's also a skill set as well. I agree. I could be totally wrong here, but it feels like maybe you're using more of your upper energy system to get that information. Whereas the empath is kind of using their lower energy system or their gut, that gut intuition, the solar plexus and the second chakra to gain information about the person in front of them. That might be the difference too. Yes. I don't just walk in somewhere and I can just say, oh, you have something going on with your liver. And you know, like I don't feel, I don't feel that. I'm kind of glad I don't feel that when I walk in somewhere. Um, but yeah. Think you're absolutely right. It is an upper energy body thing. It's interesting too, because in this book that I was talking about by Cindy Dale, you know, she talks about these abilities and she talks about the balanced and the imbalanced expression of these abilities. And one of the things that is common across all of them is that there's a difference between observing, noticing them, and absorbing them. And that people, for example, who have the ability to sense the physical ailments or the emotional states of others. It's one thing to observe them and it's another thing to absorb them. Yeah. And I think any of the empath books you read talk about that as well. Like when we vacated our system and we're feeling overwhelmed, we've absorbed them, but we don't necessarily want to turn that gift off. So as long as we're embodying ourselves, we can still detect and feel them, but we don't have to take them on. And so when I'm working with clients, I believe that's what I'm doing, right? I'm able to perceive what's happening with the person that's sitting across from me, but I'm not taking it on into my system and carrying it with me (laughs) after we're done. And do you have like, in terms of that absorbing versus just observing, do you have some kind of tips for people who maybe work in this type of world or people who just interact in the world as a 
empath or highly sensitive person, how do you recommend not absorbing, but just observing? How can you remain an observer and what are some tips for that if someone wants to do that? So it's, again, so important to stay embodied. I think there's things you can do to kind of, I call it bubble up, put up an energetic boundary around yourself. So a bubble of white light or a bubble of light or a bubble of whatever color, you know, appeals to you just to kind of separate me from you and your energy from my energy. You know, we're walking around with this energy field around us, our aura, right? That extends at least typically three to four feet from our body. And that is mixing with other people's energy fields as we walk through the world. So putting a shell around that or some membrane or some, even if you're just visualizing that, right? That's moving the energy to behave in that particular way through your intention. So setting yourself up to have that sort of energetic boundary as you walk through the world, I think is super, can be really empowering and super helpful. And actually, you know, my rational brain goes, oh, that can't work. But I got some great validation from someone. She put up a bubble around herself and then a, a friend who was normally able to see her colors and energy field suddenly wasn't able to see it. I was like, are you okay? What happened? And so like really worked, you know, she had put up this boundary and suddenly somebody who is very energy sensitive couldn't sense her energy and thought something was wrong. So that's kind of one thing that's helpful navigating the world. But I think sitting down for like healing work with a person, it's also important to just have your own level of kind of healing boundary and detachment from outcome so that whatever's going on with them, that's their stuff. And yes, I'm here to kind of be a channel and a container and help create a container for this healing session, whatever it's going to be, but then not taking that on as my own, right? Just through my intention and kind of knowing what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine as I sit with them. Yeah, I think it's funny when you're talking about creating bubbles of energy around yourself and using it to almost like mask your own energy field. There have been times where I have been walking through a neighborhood and I did not want my neighbors to see me because I did not want to talk to them. <laughs> I just wasn't feeling like socializing. And so I would actually put up an energy field that just said, people can't see me right now. I, I would say like, cars can see me, <laughs> but no one else can see me. And it's just sort of a fun kind of thing to practice. Like if you're going to go into a busy place or to just practice putting up a field around yourself where I am unseen and it works. It's actually a really cool and powerful and fun practice to do. And, and sometimes people, I think will do this with crystals. They'll like wear a piece of jewelry that to them symbolizes protection or they'll wear an outfit. I know there are some readers that I know that actually will wear like a scarf on their head or a scarf around their neck or something that to them says, okay, like these are the boundaries that I have up now. And, and it's a really fun thing to kind of play with. You don't have to necessarily do it when you're in like dicey situations. And it's very empowering once you realize you have those tools at your disposal and it works. Like I like the mirror, like imagining that there is a shield around me or a field around me that's a mirror so people can see themselves, but they don't see me. Yeah, I always warn my students or clients about that too, just like what you were talking about with the cars, right? Uh, a friend of mine, when she was first learning how to do that, did it so well that she got in a series of car accidents and the, every single accident, the driver would say, oh, I, I, where did you come from? I never even saw you there. 
<laughs> and finally she's like, Oh, I'm I'm making myself invisible. <laughs> so they've got to put a warning label on those <laughs> energy fields. Hello, curious people. There is so much more to this interview. Check out part two of this conversation in our next episode. Thank you for listening to Divinely Curious. Connect with us on social media and tell us what you thought about today's episode. You can find Emily at Emily Rose Divination or on her website, emilyrosedivination.com. You can also find me, Heather, on social media at Lovejoy Lightwork. Or you can visit my website, lovejoylightwork.com. Thanks for listening and stay curious.